Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage. Ghosts and superstition are a major part of local Hong Kong culture. There's the Hungry Ghost Festival, for example, which this year falls at the end of next month. In this week's programme, I go on a walk around in Wan Chai and look at parts of a tour put on by the group Walk in Hong Kong, which is called What Do Ghosts Eat? Wan Chai Ghosts and Food Tour. And my tour guide is Annie Tong. My name is Annie, so welcome. So I will be taking you to Wan Chai to learn about what do ghosts eat. <laughs> so what do you think? What do you, in your idea, what do ghosts eat? Ah, well, um, I mean, I've seen in my local village and, and places like that, you know, what people are offering the ghosts and yeah. it seems to be absolutely all sorts, you know, in terms of meat, it can be fruit, but I would imagine absolutely everything to keep them happy. Yes, they do eat a lot because I think the Chinese believe the uh, spiritual realm is a mirror of the living world. It's done, I think, out of respect for the ancestors, but it's also done yeah, as a... mirroring. Uh, yeah. So whatever we eat, you know, we think that's what the ghost would eat as well. The ghost stories that come from Hong Kong is very unique, very different from the ones in China or other places from Asia. When we think about a Chinese zombie, let's say, most people <laughs> would have an idea, an image in their head already about what a Chinese zombie would look like. Let's see see whether I've got a picture of a Chinese zombie. Yeah. If you ask most people in Hong Kong, if you ask them what does a zombie, Chinese zombie look like, they'll probably think of something like this. It's zombies dress in Qing Dynasty uh, court uniform. So they've got a black coat, very long black coat with embroideries on, and they've got a hat on, and they've got a peacock feather at the back. So most people would have this image. And they would know that a zombie would also have their arms straight out, quite stiff, and when they move, they hop on a straight line. Right, that's the image they have. And how do they come up with this image? It's all from Hong Kong movies. Yeah, <laughs> right. Because my zombies automatically, yeah, I think about the eight arms outstretched, yes, exactly. eyes shut, or, well, not or glazed over, certainly. But yeah, so your, yours would be in Qing Dynasty. That's right. Outfits. And what's the paper that they have across their face? Oh, that is a uh, cursed paper on them just to stop them from moving, right? So normally they don't come with a piece of paper, it's only when they've been pacified. Everything comes from Hong Kong. Well, we're very superstitious. <laughs> And the other unique thing about Hong Kong is the blend of East and West. So, for example, Halloween is a very Western festival, right? But if you go to Lan Kui Fong during Halloween, you will see Chinese ghosts. So, you know, you see this un very unique blend and you only get to see this in Hong Kong. Right, this is a picture of you. This is a Lan Kui Fong. So, yeah, so you've got people in traditional Chinese outfits, but then all sort of bloodied faces, so the, the, the horror of Halloween. It really is a mix. It is a mix. So this is what you get in Hong Kong. So that's what's so special about it. Wan Chai happens to have the highest concentration of ghost stories. And also, in Wan Chai, there's a lot of delicious food fit for both human and ghosts. <laughs> There's also furniture stores. I mean, of course, people have died all over Hong Kong yeah, exactly. or people have been killed all over Hong Kong, you know, so, but yeah, it does make you think what's specific to this district. But I'm, yeah, very curious. I'm talking right. with Annie Tong of Walk in Hong Kong. We're about to embark 
on the Wan Chai tour and uh, with its ghosts. Right. So today, besides talking about ghost stories, etc., we've talked a little bit about the development of Wan Chai as well. Because if we dial the clock back, maybe 180 years, this is what it looked like where we are standing. So, so it's just the prior. It's right next to the right next to the sea. A step out, you'll be at Victoria Harbour. Yes. So this is all the land reclamation. And today we're going to be walking on the old Wan Chai. What do I mean by old Wan Chai? This is original land. And so you can see the development of Wan Chai through the century of uh, reclamation. The old part of Wan Chai, the, the road is on slopes mainly, very narrow, a lot of one-way street. And some of the roads are not even open for traffic. That's how narrow it is. And then you have the land reclamation and you get to the tramway step to have two-way uh, traffic and then further out to Colcosta Road where it's six lanes and then also out to the uh, convention center so it's all Wan Chai but you can see the development through the century and today we're going to be concentrating on old Wan Chai. So we're going to start out of Pacific 3. I think in the older days um, people would call this place Dai Fat Hao. Literal translation is Big Buddha's Mouth. I think even 10 years ago in the minibus you know if you want to get up to this place. So big, say, big Buddha's mouth and how would you say it? Dai Fat Hao. Dai Fat Hao. Dai Fat Hao, that's right. And even now, if there's, if you happen to have an older taxi driver, older minivan driver, they will still refer to this place as Dai Fat Hao, Big Buddha's Mouth. How did this come about? So where are we standing? This, this is whereabouts we are now. This is about a century ago, this photo. I have to say, I mean, it's just with, with uh, Annie, she's got a, an iPad here and uh, each time just referring to, there's lovely research to this tour, all of the old fo uh, photographs of the buildings that would have been here before. And this is the Ahing studio. And so Ahing was a, a photographer? Oh yes, but we're talking about the place beneath Ahing is a place called Dabitsu. Oh, so that's a Japanese? That's right, a Japanese tinker shop. And Dabitsu translation is Buddha. Ah. So this is the first generation of the Buddha in this area. Of course, this place got torn down. This is a recent development of the place. This is where we are, the Methodist Church corner. After the Dabitsu Japanese tinker shop was torn down, the second generation came up and it's this poster here. This poster had been around for a long, 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 long time. People just cannot remember how long this has been up. So if you zoom in on the poster, you will see this is a ointment for skin rash. And the icon on it is a Buddha. So this is the second generation of the Buddha at Big Buddha's mouth. I see. This has got torn down as well. And now we're at PP3. There is also a Buddha here. Can you see it? Is yeah. it the image at the back? It's the mur mural ah. on the wall. That's the third generation. So this is from Angkor Wat, ah. from Cambodia. So you've got a big mural. Yes, I haven't really looked at that. So from Angkor Wat, yeah. and that's to represent the Buddha. So we're just going up the escalator at uh, Pacific 3, just past the Buddha mural. So I'm just at the side of Pacific 3 that goes up to Star Street. And uh, yes, there's another mural. That is, is, is that based on Angkor Wat as well? No, this is another place. It's near Burma. And how many different Buddhas do you see ah. there? So many yes. on the wall, right? Yeah. yeah, they're all up the wall. There's some, some that are actually sculptures, some that are inbuilt into the rock. Now, this is a dead-end alley, right? So we're just at, at the back of Pacific 3. And we've got a, a shrine here, nice uh, red shrine with offerings of apples and uh, joysticks and a vase of lilies on the side. So this is an old bomb shelter. Oh. 
right? So this is Admiralty. During the colonial times, 1840s, Admiralty is a place for the British military facilities. So it used to be a very safe place because the military is here, but it became a very dangerous place uh, during World War II because Hong Kong was occupied by the Japanese. Uh, Admiralty and also Wan Chai, Wan Chai just, just next to Admiralty, we were bombed about 70 times, over 70 times, and about 20,000 houses were destroyed. And so, uh, you know, we have a lot of bomb shelters around this area. For the history about this place was one time during an air raid, the alarm for the air raid, it failed to go off. So the residents here just was not aware that air raid was coming. And when they became aware of it, it was already too late. You know, people were running for this bomb shelter at this back alley. And while they were trying to get there, a bomb fell and hit them. After the war, we started to rebuild the city. And, you know, over time, people forget and so, you know, this area, when you come here, you, you don't see any traces of war damage at all. Some time passed and suddenly strange things happen around the residents in this neighborhood. At night time, they would be hearing knocking at the front door. And when they opened the door, no one was there. And sometimes they will hear babies crying in apartments that do not have babies. And I'm sure, you know, you lived in Hong Kong for so many years. And one strange phenomenon in Hong Kong buildings is in the middle of the night, you hear something that sounds like a marble dropping on the floor and go, dun, 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 and you don't know what it is. Well, a lot of those strange things happen around this neighborhood. And so people start talking to the neighbors and everyone said, yes, we heard the same thing. So they gathered together and dug up some history to say what happened in this place before and then they found out about this incident, about the bomb going off. And they said the way to solve this is to build a shrine here. And this shrine is for the Earth God, Tou Dei Gong Gong, the Earth God. The Earth God has a very special function. He's sort of like a bouncer about you know who he lets in the neighborhood <laughs> and who he doesn't. And it seems to work because after that, you know, all these strange things just stop. And as you mentioned, when you describe this earth shrine, it's, a, it's not a big shrine, but it's kept very clean. There's always fresh offerings here, fresh flowers. Every time I come here, there are dis different offerings. And sometimes I even find people putting um, egg tarts and pancakes as an offering to the earth god. And you're saying, so this is a bomb shelter behind? Yes. Uh, the reason why people think this is such a sinister corner, or well, one is because of the story that I told about World War II, and also because for Chinese we have yin and yang, and the yin is uh, the dark places. So this is sort of underneath a building. So it's very dark and shadowy. So that's where the ghosts and etc. Uh, likes to come out. And I think in the past, I don't know what you've walked by here, maybe 20 years ago or so, there used to be this red banner just covering uh, the back of this place to suppress the evil spread to come out of here. And suddenly this red banner is gone. So I don't know how true this is because I asked someone what happened to this red cloth and they said, oh, they did some ritual and then they folded the cloth and now they've put it in the shrine somewhere. I don't know where they've put it. All right. Interesting. But why would, I mean, are the ghosts, are they of the people who were bombed? Yeah, because they, uh, we believe that when people die and they have 
unjustly or uh, they probably would be wandering around the streets to you know vent out their anger or or something like that and they cannot find peace they cannot rest in peace so we've moved along from the shrine and we're where electric, are we now we're at electric street it's just a very short dead end street and that's because the very first power plant was here this and it's back in 1890 we have our first electric plant um, so it was very new technology then and the power plant went up it probably was able to provide electricity for the street lights for a couple of blocks not very far not a lot of uh, electricity was provided but because the technology was so new the whole thing collapsed after two days of operation oh. <laughs> at the start of the British colonial era so in the 1840s this area of Wan Chai was designated a burial area and that's where the first electric power station was set up. A main driver, among others, behind this project was Armenian businessman Sakachik Paul Chater, who set up several key firms in Hong Kong, still existing today, and also foresaw that Hong Kong would need reclamation. So, in the 1890s, that reclamation was done, and alongside the power plant were three surrounding streets, called Star, Moon and Sun Streets, named after a 13th century Chinese classic text. There were a couple of power outages at the start of the station, but after that, things ran smoothly. But the three streets that were owned and named by the company were used to provide accommodation for the company staff members. So we've just ordered a nice milk tea. I'm walking around with Annie Tong today. The rain is holding off. We're having quite a tour of the back streets. So this is really the older part of Wan Chai. So with the Cha Chanteng, is this where you would find the ghost food? I've got a picture to show you about all the food that ghosts do eat. And tea is one of them. They eat everything that humans eat, as well as uh, different incense, candles and crackers. So a lot of things that they eat. And so we're going to experience what the ghosts would eat as well, or drink. And this is milk tea. And we're having it in the Cha Chanteng. In the olden days, the British, they love to drink. They have afternoon tea, right? And so they, Hong Kongers, they we develop our own version. So we have um, milk tea, and this is Hong Kong style milk tea, and it's very special because it's in the uh, intangible cultural heritage of Hong Kong, and it's different from the English milk tea. I think in order to know what is good milk tea, there are a couple of things that you look look for. One is whether it is strong. We want our tea to be strong. We don't want weak tea. It needs to be smooth. And so they use uh, the evaporated milk. You always have to have milk or condensed milk to make it smooth. And also the fragrance. So the secret to it, every Tartantang is different. They'll never let you know the blend of tea. They'll always have three or seven, you know, a lot of different blends of tea to get the color, the taste and the aroma. And there are procedures in making the milk tea. Uh, first of all, they blend it, the tea leaves, and then they have to boil the tea. They put everything in a long tea bag. And that's how the Hong Kong milk tea gets its nickname. The nickname is called Silk Stocking Milk Tea. The tea bag is very long and they put a lot of tea leaves in it. And so after the tea has been tainted a few times, the bag is just a, a cough and it's turned the tea colour. So people say, oh, you're using your wife's silk stocking to make this. <laughs> I was recently in Lei Yumun and I was in a similar establishment to what we are in today, just a regular cafe at Cha Chanteng. And there, there were all these, and I must go back, there were all these framed photographs on the wall 
And this man, the, the actual proprietor, is he's won prizes for his, his milk tea. And now, once they've made this tea, though, I mean, each one that we're getting, has it already long since been mixed with the milk then? After the tea is done, um, they have to pour the tea out a few times just to make sure all the tea leaves, uh, the flavour is, is infused out. And the thing is, it's very different from India tea, is pulling the tea. The action is not quite pulling, pulling is quite soft, but they're saying the word is heating the tea. So it's using force to heat, to use the water to heat the tea leaves to make sure all the aroma comes out. And then the tea's is ready because it's been poured so many times we think that it loses a temperature so it needs to go return to the stove to be reheated up and they only put the milk in before they serve the tea some uh, tea masters like to put the milk in first others put the tea first and then milk oh, this, is, ah, this is such an english thing of you know well comparably english thing about whether you put the tea in before or afterwards and yeah there's big rules and whether it's hot as well. There's also, you know, if you become an expert, instead of just saying I want uh, Hong Kong style milk tea, there is something called cha zhao. I don't know how to translate this in English, but it's take away the tea, but it doesn't make sense, right? What cha zhao means is instead of using evaporated milk, you're asking them to use condensed milk. So it comes sweet already and you don't have to put sugar in. Interesting. Yeah, so well, this is delicious milk tea. Cheers. <laughs> so we're sitting in a cha chan tang. If you imagine, if you're walking from Pacific 3, we've gone up the back of that, and so we're going down the adjacent streets there. So if you're making offerings to the ghosts, because we were seeing at the other shrine to the earth god, we were seeing egg tarts. I've seen, you know, half chickens. Are there any specifics, or it can be really anything along those lines? This is really my personal take. I think it depends on the food that the offerer wants to eat themselves because after you give it to the god then you eat it. Ah. <laughs> but this is really my take. So people who are really dedicated, they may have a different take on what sort of offerings they give. Even when you, you know, go into the shrines or even, you know, we bring food offerings to our ancestors as well, you know, to, for the tomb sweeping ceremonies. Um, and we bring roast pork and chicken or whatever. And this is a chunk of all the food, a sample of all the food that they have. You know, they have a protein, carbohydrate, they have fruits as well. They have things that human beings cannot eat, like incense, etc. They have seafood, like squid, pigs, ducks, fish, everything, you know, even dumplings. So I think oh, yeah, you've got steamed bun. Yes. Mm. yes. No, that's very interesting. So these are all the different types of food that you can make as offerings to appease the ghosts. So these can be, but I mean, you know, when I'm, when you're saying appease the ghost, so if your grandfather dies, for example, I mean, is that what we're talking about? Let me show you another chart that may explain things. So this is human. After we die, we become ghosts. But through practice, practice would, may mean that if you do some good deeds or you keep reciting some sacred prayers, etc. If you do that enough, maybe you become a monk or a Buddha or you may become a spirit or a ghost. But if you turn bad, then you become the devil or a demon. And we think that even plants and animals, if they do enough practice, they may become a fairy. And Plants and animals can also turn bad to become monsters and demons as well. So this is what we think is the whole system. There are deities, as I show you in the odd chart, but also they believe after people die, they can either turn into a good ghost or a bad demon. 
It's interesting. Now, your generation, you're younger, much younger than me. Is this continuing on? Would you say that amongst, I mean, I know you can't just speak for everybody, but would you say that as a generation, you know, when, you, when, when people do grave sweeping, generally, is it done more for the parents or the grandparents, meaning out of respect? Or do you feel that, that it's continuing on as, as a belief? I probably can't generalize, but I think it also depends on the education level of the younger generation. I think a lot of them would have to accompany their parents to, you know, the tomb sweeping, etc. But more and more is done for the elder generation. And of course, there are younger generation who really believes it. But, you know, the belief system for Chinese they are, is very mixed up. They get Buddhism and Taoism. Everything is mixed in. And later on, you know, there's some temple visits when, you know, you think that this temple is dedicated to this deity, but you see so many different statues and different deities there because they just share everything and they put whatever they want to believe in the same temple. So the, I don't think there's hard and fast rules on a lot of things. And a lot of things, it's not a belief religion as such, but it's superstition. For example, like there's a lot of things that you can and cannot do during Chinese New Year. Like you cannot cut your hair, you cannot buy new shoes, etc. Uh, because you're cutting away, you know, hair is, sounds like wealth. So if you cut your hair, it means you're cutting your wealth. You cannot buy new shoes because shoes, the sounds like signing, you know, go, ah. So you, can, you cannot do that during Chinese year. And this is sort of a tradition, superstition, things like that. But, you, you know, you may not believe in it, but you do it because this is part of the culture and the community and everyone practiced in it. It's like buying a Christmas tree during Christmas. Another aspect of the fact that you have these multiple traditions and, and religious festivals is there's an awful lot of public holidays in Hong Kong. That is so true. We have celebrate Buddha's birthday. And then there's Christmas, there's Easter, and there's Dragon Boat. So it's a big blend of public holidays in Hong Kong. That is true. That's one advantage of working in Hong Kong. So refreshed from our milk tea, we've moved on. We're now just gone. You can see the, the high rise of the Hopewell, you know, the extra part of the Hopewell Center or um, another Hopewell building going up. But where we are are much lower buildings we're on the corner of schooner street and sick on street and what's lovely around here is of course that there are no cars there are no cars what we see here are some homeless gods you know they're different statues of different deities i think it's probably when people move house or they leave hong kong etc they've got no place for these big statues and they dare not throw this in a rubbish bin so they just leave in the streets and i think People sort of recycle them because last time I came here there were a lot more and maybe some people would take them home and people still put incense stick in front of it. So they are uh, the abandoned deities. But around the corner there's something much bigger that's been abandoned for decades. So yes, you've got all of these little statues of different gods. I think it's rather appealing actually. Let's, ah, Let's talk about the most haunted place in Hong Kong and it's that back building there called Nam Ku Terrace. I'll tell you a bit of the story about Nam Ku Terrace. So it's quite a mansion isn't it? This is probably a good view because previously we had buildings all here to obscure the view of Nam Ku. Um, with all this construction going on this is probably the first time we're able to see it so uh, properly like this. So it's a, quite a big mansion. I've got some photos to show you what it looked like in the past. 
Right, it's two stories, and and you look at the back. There's a servants' quarter, servants' stepwell. So it's quite a big, expensive mansion, and it's built in 1920s by a man surnamed To T O, and his job he had a he's a, an assistant manager in Wing On department store. So he lived here, very wealthy, but the place was occupied by the Japanese in World War Two. So he was forced out of there, and what the Japanese use this place for is like a comfort house or a brothel for the Japanese military. So as you can imagine, a lot of crimes took place there. And after World War Two, To moved back to his mansion. I cannot imagine what it feels to be living, moving back there after all the horrific things that happened. And he died. In this mansion, shortly afterwards, and his family never moved there again, and this house had become abandoned. And after a while, the residents around here started hearing and seeing strange things. There were lights, green lights, going off at night, and screaming happening at night in Namco Terrace. And so, why this place became the most haunted place in Hong Kong was an incident that took place in 2003. So teenagers, a group of teenagers, decided to go in to explore all these haunted places, and I think the security wasn't as good before, so they were able to break in. And it was in the middle of the night. These teenagers, with all their flashlight,、uh, after they walked in, they saw a shape of a person. Well, they say they saw. And they were saying when they described, they said this. Thing that they saw had no face. It was just a head, no face at all. After they ran out, one of the girls, when she was fleeing, she fell, and the, her friends were trying to pick her up, and they could not pick the girl up. And it made the front page of the news. This land along here is purchased by Hopewell, and. It took them a long time to start building Hopewell Centre too. And what's going to happen to Namco? It is、um, graded Grade One historical building, and there's been plans submitted to have a proposal for it to become a marriage registry. Annie, just to finish up,、uh, you used to work in banking. You're now a walk-in Hong Kong tour guide. Was that because you became more interested in your own history here in Hong Kong? Well, I was born in Hong Kong, but I was—I think I left Hong Kong when I was ten years old and moved to Australia. So I didn't really know much about my heritage until I came back, and it's just fascinating. Once I think it's a long story of、uh, road to discovery. But once I found out about、uh, the fascinating history and culture, I just want to know more and more because the more you know about my own city, the more of a sense of belonging you have for this place and. The love of this place grows as well. I think when initially when I first came back, I was so stick with the Western culture. You know, I was stick with Hong Kong Island side. I wouldn't even go to Kowloon because I was considered <laughs> the dark side. Knew nothing about our history culture at all. But I think that Chinese DNA is in the blood.、Um, so you know, I started from learning about. Chinese tea because I love drinking Chinese.、Tea. I used to just drink coffee and red wine because I thought that's my image. <laughs> But I love Chinese tea, and from after learning about Chinese tea, it branched off to Chinese ink painting, to Chinese calligraphy, and then to 
all this history. And so I think I was very lucky to have this job where I'm able to learn about my heritage as well. And I hope that through all these walking tours, people local as well as visitors learn about how unique this city is. I think a lot of times it's always you know, the textbook version for is from a small fishing village to become a cosmopolitan, but it's so much more than that. My thanks to Annie Tong of Walk in Hong Kong. I hope she continues to enjoy her career in heritage tours. If you'd like to know more about this tour, what do ghosts eat, Wan Chai ghosts and food tour, then do take a look at the Walk in Hong Kong website. They provide all sorts of tours around Hong Kong. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage. <laughs>